Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart unto a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. As we looked at before, the word rest means to refresh yourselves, recover, and collect your strength to take a break. Now, when you read earlier in the chapter, you see Jesus has sent these 12 apostles out to preach and to teach and to minister and to heal the sick and to cast out devils. And they had tremendous success. Every single one of them produced tremendous results. And so they're coming back to meet with Jesus, giving them the status update. Man, this is what we preach. This is what we taught. This is what happened. Man, it was really cool when that person got healed. Man, it was amazing when that devil got cast out. They're giving Jesus the update. But as they're trying to fill Jesus in about everything that happened, people kept interrupting them because they wanted to talk to Jesus or one of the 12. Because remember before this, Jesus had a following, but now all 12 of them have followings too. And people are interrupting them as they're just trying to have a meal. It was so much interruption, they couldn't finish a meal in peace. And Jesus says, come take a break with me. You guys need to rest. Now, one of the things that Jesus says, you look at, he took them on a mini beach vacation. He said, yep, we're going to take a break together. Now, it is good to take physical vacations. You do need a break in the normal routine of life. I encourage you to take physical vacations. But also, what's important about this passage is Jesus says, come with me and take a break. He didn't just say, go on vacation. I'll see you when you get back. He says, come on a vacation with me. You know, as we shared in Mark chapter 3, why that's so important, we saw in Mark chapter 6, is what the apostles were originally called to do. And it says in Mark 3.13 that Jesus went up to a mountain, he called unto them whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained 12, that number one, they should be with them, number two, that he might send them forth to preach, number three, to have power to heal sicknesses, and number four, to cast out devils. Their first and highest calling was their relationship with Jesus. Some translations point out that Jesus picked them to be with him as friends. Jesus lived life in a community of friends. And so their highest calling was their relationship with Jesus. That's why it's important to know he didn't send them on vacation. He says, come and take a break with me. Come and rest with me. It reminds me of Matthew chapter 11. So let's go there and review a little bit more. Matthew chapter 11. As I'm sharing this, you know, I have a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old daughter who both love Daniel Tiger. There's many songs that we sing on a regular basis because of that blessed little tiger. But as I'm sharing this, I remembered one song in particular, in one words, where they said, if you're not feeling well, rest is best. And that's what they said through the whole episode, rest is best, rest is best. And the Holy Ghost is telling you today, rest is best. So what do you mean by that? Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Notice he said, come to me, not just follow me, but come to me. 
All of you who grow weary, tired, and are exhausted with toils and burdens and griefs. All of you who are overburdened, and I will give you rest. It's the same rest we saw in Mark chapter 6. So Jesus is saying, come to me. I'll help you recover your strength. I'll cause you to rest from being overburdened and exhausted. Come to me, and I'll cause you to be refreshed. Take my yoke upon you. See, if you take it, you have a choice whether you take it or not. This is not automatic. You don't just automatically take Jesus' yoke upon you. It's your choice. And this should let you know you can take it one day and not the next. You can take it one week and not the next. You can take it for one hour and not the rest of the 23 of the day. So it has to be your decision to take his yoke upon you. Now, when he's saying it's my yoke, get the picture Jesus is using. In a yoke, two oxen were yoked together. So, Lee, I want your help with this one. In a yoke, two oxen were yoked together. And so as they were working the field, they were working together like this. So Jesus, take my yoke. What is he saying by implication? Work with me. This lets you know Jesus is with you so close you can do the work in the field together. Now, when it says, take my yoke, usually if you put the stronger person with a stronger oxen with a weaker oxen, it is the strong one that suffers because the weaker oxen can't pull their weight. But Jesus, of course, is the stronger one. He's already died for us and got back up again. It doesn't matter how weak you are, you can't hurt him. It doesn't matter how limping along you are in life, you can't bring him down. He is the strong one. That's why the weak can say, I'm strong. That's why the poor can say, I am rich. Because the person you're yoked with, the person you are connected to, is the almighty God with all power that there is. So Jesus is saying, work with me. I got you. Thanks, Leo. Work with me. I got you. I'm with you. Jesus wants to be involved with your everyday life. We will not enjoy the rest that flows from Jesus when we try to do things in our life our way or by ourselves. That's why a lot of Christians are stressed out and full of worry because they're trying to do the Christian life by themselves. There's nothing God has called you to do that you're supposed to do by yourself, by your own effort, by your own ability. You can only be successful in the Christian life if you are connected with Jesus and you rely on his grace and his ability. Matthew eleven twenty eight in the Passion Translation says, Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Oasis is a fertile spot in a desert where water is found, a pleasant or peaceful area or period in the midst of a difficult, troubled, or hectic place or situation. See, there are times you need to take physical vacations and departures from a normal routine. And we see that Jesus literally did that for his team of friends. But we can't live on vacation, or can we? See, on vacation, it's good to go, but at one point, you have to check out of your hotel. At one point, you have to check out of the resort. One, at one time, you got to leave the cruise boat. If, they don't, if you don't, they will help you off. One day, you have to come back to your normal life. But even on your normal life, you can get the benefits of vacation through the proper relationship with Jesus. See, we go on vacations to rest, to be refreshed for relaxation and recreation. And we should do those things, to enjoy those things from time to time. However, we can experience this in a greater way and a more important way from Jesus. And so in this series so far, we said it's important that we rest well. Rest well. So rest, reckon, R, recognize Jesus. E, expect Jesus. S, spend time praying in the Spirit. T, take time to do it daily. Rest. Well, 
W, work with Jesus. E, engage or capture erroneous emotions and thoughts. L, let go of the cares and give them to Jesus. L, learn and do Jesus' way. Rest well. So now let's go where we left off last week in Hebrews chapter 4. That if we want to get the most out of this Christian life, we have to learn how to rest well. Because rest is best. One of the quotes I left off last week is sharing something I heard a man of God say one time. That one of the highest levels of faith is rest. The highest level of faith is rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor or work therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Well, what example of unbelief? What rest are we to work to enter to? So to understand this, we need to go in context. So go back to Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll start with verse 7. Go back a page or two, depending on how your Bible's set up. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. One of the themes of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is so much better than. You see, in chapter 1, chapter 2, the writer says Jesus is so much better than the angels. And the beginning of chapter 3, the writer is showing that Jesus is so much better than Moses. You have to understand, to a Jewish audience, Moses was the man. Moses was the stuff. Nobody could compare to Moses. And so this writer in chapter 3 is showing how Jesus is so much better than Moses. And leading into this, he gets to verse 7 and says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that entire generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. So what story is he talking about? Go to Numbers 13. Let's break it down a little bit more. They erred in their heart. They hardened their hearts. They didn't listen to the Holy Ghost's voice. So God said, you will not enter into my rest. Numbers 13, verse 26. And so the 12 spies went out. Now, this wasn't Moses' idea to send the 12 spies in the land of Canaan. It was God's idea. Go view the land, see what I told you, see the city, see where they're located, because they need to start forming strategies on what they're supposed to do. So God is sending them to show them this is exactly what I told you would be. And so they go for 40 days, and they come back to bring a report. It says, they brought back word unto them and unto all the congregation, showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, we came unto the land where you sent us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit thereof. The fruit was huge. And so they said, yep, God was right, flowing with milk and honey. Yep, the fruit is great. The fruit is big. This is a great place to be. But, see, a lot of people get in trouble because they put their butt in the way. Some of you need a big revelation from God. Get your butt out the way. 
Nevertheless, or but the people be strong that dwell on the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. Who are the children of Anak? They are giants. And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, and the Cellulites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able to go up against these people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report. It's an evil report. Of the land which they have searched the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so we were in their sight. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we have died in the land of Egypt, still being slaves? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Wherefore has the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make us another pastor and let us return into Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel, and Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not against the Lord, neither be afraid of the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their defense or their shadow is departed from them and the Lord is with us fear them not but all the congregation said stone these guys kill them let's go back to Egypt and the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel and the Lord said to Moses how long will these people provoke me how long will these people get on my nerves but you know what? Another translation of the word provoke. How long will this, these people hate me? How long until they believe me? For all the signs which I've showed among them. Now, when you study out Numbers and Exodus, you see how the delivering power of God in the book of Exodus, what we see, and you know, look at the Ten Commandments story. That wasn't a couple days, that was over a period of nine months. And then they crossed the Red Sea. And then they went into the wilderness. By this point, it's been about two years since they left Egypt. So they've had two years or more of seeing God's miracles, signs, and wonders. It's not like they had one week. It's not like they had a couple weeks. It's not like they're still making up their mind. They've seen it for years. And so God and Moses began to have a conversation. Moses, forgive them. Don't please pardon them. Don't judge them for everything they just did here. And so God says, I'll pardon according to your word. But notice what he says in verse 22. He says, because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt in the wilderness, have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. Surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him, 
and has followed me fully, him will I bring to the land where you went and a seed to possess it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow I'll turn you and get into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? And the word murmur means to complain and come to a stop. I have heard the murmurs of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me, saying to them, As truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken to my ears, sorrow do to you, or you can have what you say. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from twenty years old and up, which have murmured against me. Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun, but your little ones, the ones you said will be a prey, I'll bring them in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for your carcasses, they shall fall in the wilderness, and your children shall wander in the wilderness forty years and bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the wilderness. And the number of the days in which you search the land, even forty years, each day for a year, shall you bear your iniquities, even forty years, and you shall know my breach of promise. Now go back to Hebrews 3. He said, well, that's a powerful Old Testament story. Hits you right in the gut. Well, how, what does that have to do with me? Chapter 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren. This is what he just summed up in four or five verses. Now he says, take heed, brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. The word take heed, this phrase take heed means to weigh carefully, consider, examine. Direct your thoughts to this. Other translations say, see to it. Search your hearts every day about this. Watch out, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Pointing to this example. God told them for years the promised land was theirs. And it wasn't just he told this generation. He had told it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They believed it. Joseph believed it. This has been passed down for hundreds of years. God fulfills his word, sends a deliverer to bring them out of Egypt. And the whole time, he is telling them about the promised land. It says the gospel was preached unto them. God has a promised land for you. It is a good land. You're going to have victory in this land. It's going to be great. He is preaching wonderful things to them. But they did not believe. They got to the land and says, yeah, well, what God said was true. You know, this is a good land to live in. Yeah, the fruit looks pretty good. But God must have missed these people. There are giants in the land. There's these other nations that are stronger than us, bigger than us, mightier than us. And they look at us like we're grasshoppers. And we look like at our own selves like we're grasshoppers. We cannot... Do what God said we can do. And so they began to weave and cry and have a pity party all night. I'm sure Uber Eats was busy delivering all the comfort food they needed that night as they wept and cried. And Joshua Caleb said, I was like, hey, y'all, what y'all doing? We're more than able to go into the promised land. God is with us. We can do it. And they said, kill these fools. Let's go back to being slaves. Let's go back to the world. Let's go back to how it used to be. This faith stuff does not work. 
So the writer of Hebrews says, pay attention, examine yourselves, look at your hearts every day, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Notice how a heart of unbelief is called evil. You know, when you talk about people about what is evil, most people won't say unbelief is evil. They're talking about murder. They're talking about all these other things that go on in the world. Yep, that person is evil. What they said is evil. Evil, 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 evil. But unbelief gets a pass. Because, of course, I'm only human. But the Scripture calls a heart of unbelief evil. Why? It causes you to depart, to leave behind, to forsake or desert the living God. He's talking to believers, which means believers can develop evil hearts of unbelief, miss out on God's rest, and depart from the living God. Verse 13, but encourage one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened. Remember, hearts being hardened was a problem through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers, sharers, partners of Christ. If we hold the beginning of our confidence or our foundation steadfast until the end. We have to hold the foundation of our faith, our courage to the end and not let go. And not develop an evil heart of unbelief. We can't wimp out just because it looks tough. We can't wimp out just because the world says you're crazy. You can't wimp out just because someone subtweeted you. You can't back down just because the going gets rough, just because something happens that you don't like. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, for someone they had heard did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom he swore they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. To simply put it, they did not enter to God's rest, which is their promised land, because they did not believe. What's the biggest issue? Not believing God. Do you believe God or not? Do you believe what he's told you? Chapter 4, verse 1, Let us therefore fear or pay close attention to, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should come short or fall short of it. The word rest here means a resting place or a putting to are putting to rest. So you need to pay attention. Once again, he's drawn your attention to this. Lest you missed out your place of rest. Lest you miss out your resting place. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. The gospel, the good news was preached to them. God has a promised land for you. God has good things in your future. You stick with God, it's going to be good. God's going to cause you to have victory over your enemies. God has reward for you in the promised land. God has seen what happened to you in Egypt. He is going to deliver you. He's going to take you to the other side. God's got good things for you. Moses preached that. It was good news. 
we have received good news. God has promised us good things in this life and the life to come. But the word preached did not profit them. So, oh, well, the word is powerful. The word is mighty, but it did them no use. That word profit means to assist them, to be useful to them, to be advantageous to them. Why, did not the, why didn't the powerful word of God not assist them, help them, aid them, become useful to them, or give them the advantage, or be advantageous to them, which means to create favorable circumstances for them? That increases the chances of success and effectiveness to be beneficial to them. They did not mix it with faith. Which means the word of God will do you no good unless you mix it with faith. If you don't mix the word you hear, it will do no good to you. Even though it's life-changing power in every word. Even though one word from God can change your life. If you don't mix with faith, it's no good to you. It's almost like you are making some lemonade or Kool-Aid. And I'm not talking about the healthy version. Just go with me. <laughs> it's not the healthy version of the lemonade or Kool-Aid, but the good version of the lemonade or Kool-Aid. You know, I make a certain type of lemonade for different family events. I don't make it every day. But when I make it, it has a lot of sugar. Well, how much? I just pour it till I feel right in my spirits. <laughs> and so I put all these things into the lemonade. I add the mix, I add the sugar, I got some strawberries in there, I got some other stuff in there. It's good. But if I don't stir it, it's gonna taste nasty. It's no good if I don't stir it. But if I stir it, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be refreshing. It's gonna be what I was looking forward to. It's gonna produce the desired result of why I made it. If you don't mix the word with faith, it will do you no good. It won't even taste that good to you. You'll taste the word like, well, why in the world am I doing this? You have to mix it with faith. And the mixer is your tongue. It is your mouth. You must mix the words you hear with the words that you say. Verse 3 says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn my wrath, they shall enter into, they, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this rise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remains that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. I like how verse 6 says in New Living Translation, so God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. The tra Passion Translation said, those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter into the realm of faith's rest because of their unbelieving heart. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter into the faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. Verse 7 through 11, New Living Translation says, So God said another time for entering into his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted, Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest. God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. 
So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Some things I want to point out to you. God called the promised land his rest. God called the promised land his rest. Those that believed or those that mixed faith with the word of God, that next generation entered into the promised land, entered into God's rest. Because they believed, say because they believed, they had to fight. Because the promised land had giants, had enemies, had walled cities. But because they believed, they had to step up to the plate and fight. After many years of battles, including mistakes and errors they made, they received Joshua 21, 43 to 45. Let's go with that. Joshua chapter 21, 43 to 45. Joshua 21, verse 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it, and they dwelt therein. Now, sometimes you just read it. If you don't read it in context and know the story, it's like, oh, God gave them a piece of land, and they just moved in. It wasn't that great. That's not what happened. In order to get what God gave them, they had to fight. They had to do battle. So how did God give it to them? He led them, he fought for them, and he fought alongside them. And verse 44, And the Lord gave them rest round about, according to all that he sware unto their fathers. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hands. There fell not any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, all came to pass. Another translation says, every good thing the Lord had promised them came true. See, the rest of Hebrews 4 and the rest of the promised land is the fulfillment of God's promise. The rest of Hebrews 4 is believing that God will do his part, and all you have to do is believe and obey him. You obey him from a place of rest, not stress. You obey him from a place of rest, not stress, because you trust him. It says, let us labor to enter into his rest. Just like those going into the promised land had to fight to get into the promised land, there are some fights you will have in this life. You are to fight the good fight of faith and lay hold onto eternal life. Sometimes the fight of faith is the fight to keep from fighting. Sometimes the fight of faith is the fight to keep you from stressing out, from getting over into your feelings, and stressing about everything in front of you. You have to work to stay in that place of rest. It's not automatic. Daily, you have to take Jesus' yoke upon you and remind yourself, he's with you and he's working with me. The same way God fought with those going into the promised land that was by their side, Jesus is working with me in my everyday life, taking me to the place he has for me. See, if we learn to rest well, we can enter into the rest of the promised land that God has for us as individuals and as a faith family. 
Just as God fought for the Israelites in Joshua's day, Jesus wants to work with us in our day. Hebrews 10, 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession or the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. We're not just holding on to the promise because it's a promise. We're holding on to the promise because who promised it? The promise is great, but the one who promised it is greater. Because anybody can make a promise. But it depends on who made it if you trust it or not. But because the one who promised it is faithful, you hold on to what he said to you. You don't let it go, not because the promise is good, but because the one who made the promise is good. The one who made the promise can be counted on. The one who made the promise is faithful. You lay hold to that promise because of the one who promised it to you. So you refuse to stress. You hold on to it from a place of rest. You learn to rest well because you know who promised you. He's faithful. He can be trusted. He can be relied on. He can be counted on. So we need to hear what he has to say. We need to believe what he says. We need to mix faith with what he says. We need to do what he says. So we have to hear. We have to believe. We need to mix faith with it. So if he tells us something, then we're just going to say, oh, that's good. We need to say it on a regular basis if we're going to mix faith with it. Because you'll be surprised how many things you actually forget. Like God can promise you something and you forget. Ten years later, oh, you know what? God did say if I believed him, he would do that. And it's not quite that you're in unbelief. You just forgot. And so some people miss out on miracles because they forgot to believe God. And if you're not talking about it on a regular basis, your faith is not working to grab it. You're not in unbelief. You're just in nothing. You have to work your faith with your mouth. You need to talk about it on a regular basis. It doesn't mean you need to tell other people. You can tell yourself in the mirror every single day. You say, oh, I feel weird talking to nobody. You talk to Siri and Alexa all day long. <laughs> you talk to stoplights, telling them to change for you. They don't hear you. They don't care. You talk to other cars driving by. They can't hear you either. So why not talk faith? And mix what God has said. And then do what he says. Let's go to 2 Chronicles 32 and begin to bring this so close. Second Chronicles 32 is one of the retellings of the story when the king of Assyria sent his army to capture Judah to take their walled cities, to take their kingdom. Not only did he send an intimidating army, he launched a PR campaign. He sent people to speak into the language of the people. Don't trust Hezekiah. Don't trust that king. He's going to say God's going to deliver you, but God won't really deliver you. God doesn't like you. God sent me to punish you. This is what the king was saying. Coming against their mind, coming against their hearts, trying to make them believe anything else but God's truth. But notice what the king, the man of God, said in verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him. For there be more with us than with him. And he's not talking about a physical army. Because they had a physical army, but their physical army was not big enough to take down the empire of Assyria. 
The king says, with him is an arm of flesh. He acknowledged that he had power. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The word rested means leaned. They leaned on encouraging words that God was stronger than their problem. They leaned on the encouraging words that God would help them and fight their battles. And God did just that. They believed God. They prayed, and God sent one angel and took out the army. Just one angel. Because they leaned on the encouraging words of God. See, what I'm saying to you today are encouraging words. Whether you lean on them or not is up to you. Whether you get angelic assistance or not is up to you. Whether it comes to pass in your life is up to you. Second Chronicles 14, 11. It's another story of the people of God. Another army comes to attack them. And Asa the king cried unto the Lord his God and said, Lord, it is nothing with you to help, whether with many or with them that have no power. So God, you can bring help and deliverance through a huge army, or you can do with it those who need a whole bunch of help. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you. We lean on you. We trust in you. Or we lean on you to support ourselves. And in your name, we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. And of course, they have the victory. God gave them a great victory against the enemy. What or whom are you leaning on today? What or whom are you leaning on today? How and where you lean will determine the victory you experience. How and where you lean will determine the victory you experience. Are you leaning on your own ability? If you are, you are not resting. And your own ability can only take you so far. Because if you're leaning on what you can do, when a problem that comes up that's bigger than what you can handle, you will stress and you will worry. And you fall into what it says in the Old Testament, it is vain for you to stay up late eating the bread of sorrows for he gives his beloved sleep. It's worthless for you to stay up all night worrying. Jesus said, you can't worry and make yourself taller. Why are you staying up late? Now you're just going to wake up in the morning tired and angry and cranky. And nothing changed. Why you worried all night or stressed all night? Well, I prayed. No, you prayed from a place of fear and worry, not faith, so it didn't work. You worried all night. You complained all night. You whined all night. A lot of people call prayer is actually whining. Oh, God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen to me? You're, that's not faith. Well, you know, I had all-night prayer. You had all-night complaining. <laughs> all-night wine session. That's not faith. That's not leaning on him. 
And see, people get in those situations because they relied on themselves for so long, and they've only used faith as an emergency card, that when they really have to use their faith to something shows up, they don't know how to do it. That's why we have to be professionals with our faith, to know how to use our faith on purpose. Like a mechanic uses a tool on purpose, we need to know how to use our faith on purpose. We actually have to live by faith. Faith is our lifestyle, not a get-out-of-jail-free card. So that means we have to be purposeful. We're using our faith every single day, understanding that as we use our faith every single day, whether it's small or big, when something huge shows up, we know how to handle it. And we don't have faith in faith. We have faith in God. See, a lot of times in the faith movement and in faith churches, which we came from the faith movement and we is a faith church, hence the name faith. See, the biggest thing on there is faith. We are faith people. We are faith. Hashtag. Come on. All of these things. But our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in our God. Our trust is in our God. And we've had decades of great teaching, but our faith can't be in the mechanics of using your faith. The mechanics so you understand the process. But your faith has only have to be in God. Your trust has to be in Him. You have to lean on Him. You have to rely on Him. You have to trust on Him. You have to rest on Him. You have to rest in Him. See, Song of Solomon 8.5 says, Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on their beloved? You have to lean on him because he loves you. And just like we use the example of being yoked together while you're working with Jesus, you lean on him as you work. You're yoked together, so you might as well lean on him. So the days when you're tired, you're worn out, I don't know how I'm going to do it, lean. Don't say, well, I have enough soul power to push through. Your soul power can only get you so far. Lean. Acknowledge the situation. This looks crazy. I feel crazy. Everybody around me is crazy. But I ain't going crazy because I choose to lean. God, I acknowledge what's in front of me. I acknowledge the trouble that's ahead of me. I'm not denying it that it's there. I just believe your power is great enough to handle it. So instead of stressing, instead of worry, I lean. And I speak to that what you tell me to say. So as I'm lean, okay, what do you want me to say to that? So I say to it, I keep going forward. You have to lean on him. You have to rest on him. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. We can't forget it. We teach faith so that you can be close to Jesus. We don't teach faith for faith's sake. Everything we teach, everything we do is so you can be close to him. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. You can't lean on him if you don't got faith. It's all about who you're leaning on. It's all about what you're resting on. As you work with him, lean on him. He's leading you to the promised land that he has for you. As you work with him and lean on him, he will share things with you. He will speak things to your heart. He will speak to you through your personal time of reading his word. He will speak to you through messages from your pastor and through other ways. As he speaks, 
believe him because he is faithful that promised. Rest well, and you will enter into God's rest for you. Rest well, and you will enter into God's rest for you. You know, for faith people, we can't be known as the stressed out people. We have to be the people who are at rest, who are at peace. Oh, don't you see what happened? Yep. Why aren't you stressed out? What's that going to do? Why aren't you worrying? Really, what is that going to do? So I'm resting on him. Well, don't you see the news? Yep. Didn't you see the tweet? Yep. Didn't you hear about Wall Street? Yep. And I can't tell you how much I don't care. Why? How could you say that? I've taken my care and I put it on the one I'm leaning on. Because I'm not meant to carry that care. If I carry that care, I'm going to worry. I'm going to stress. I'll pick up my cares, put down his yoke, and walk away with the evil heart of unbelief. But because there's a lot of cares in this world, the world would all try to put all these cares on you. They'll keep throwing it your way. Y'all have to be so good at casting cares that FedEx and Amazon want to hire you at Christmas time to pack packages for them. <laughs> that you just got a machine going on. Boom, 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 boom. Woo! And some of your parents are like, well, I'm supposed to worry about my children. No, you're not. You're supposed to protect them. You're supposed to teach them faith. You're not supposed to worry about them. Having kids will increase the amount of things you can worry about. You have to learn how to cast your cares. Be a professional caster. Get that thing off of you. Remember who you're working with. Remember who you're leaning on. He is faithful that promised. So lean on him. Rest on him. Trust in him. He's like, well, you don't know everything that's happened. I don't need to know everything that's happened. Jesus knows, and he still said rest. You still said lean. So you need to get your lean on. You need to lean on the one who loves you. You cast your cares because you have a caretaker. And he always takes care of you in grand style. Your worry will produce nothing except sleepless nights and stomach aches. But resting on Jesus, staying in faith, will always produce the miraculous. And will always cause you and those around you to stand in awe at the goodness of your God. So lean on the everlasting arms. You'll be safe and secure from our alarm. We need to remember that old hymn and lean on him. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. Hallelujah to Jesus. See, one of the things we'll get into, I believe, next week, because now that we know how to rest, when we go places, the rest of God shows up. We become a breath of fresh air. And I'm going to show you how to do that next week. So when you go into places, stress just leaves because you're the breath of fresh air God sends. We'll share with you that next week. Because wherever we go, we can bring the rest of God. We can bring the peace of God. One of the things I was training one of my ministers, we were going into a home going 
It was a sad situation. The good part was that the person was with Jesus. But we still have human emotions while we're on this earth. And I told them, as you walk in this room, be the peace of God. As you hear what I said, you are the peace of God. As the man of God standing behind the pulpit, you are the peace of God. And people's peace they'll get from you if you handle this right. And that's not just for ministers to be the peace of God. Ministers who you can say, well, five-fold ministry, get the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We're all preachers, the Bible says. We're all ministers. Wherever you go, you can be the peace of God. You go into your house, you're the peace of God. You go to your place at work, you're the peace of God. His peace is flowing from you. That when you get to Thanksgiving, everybody can be acting a fool, but you walk in, there's peace. Learn how to rest, and rest will flow from you. You live in that state, it transforms the atmosphere of where you live. So people walk in your house and they go, whoa, it feels peaceful here. It just feels restful in here. And their characters fall off because you've learned to practice peace and rest on such a high level that you walk in and people are set free. I remember I had a young man when I was a youth pastor. He had different issues with anxiety. He had other different issues. And so his parents wanted me to counsel him in the very beginning. And I did was train. I had him in my office. And I'd go over scripts with him, talk with him about different things. But he could never focus in my office. He would always be distracted. And so one day, it had to be from the Holy Ghost. I said, let's go out to eat. And he focused <laughs> as we had lunch together. And the parents loved it because he kept changing. They said, yeah, go out to eat everywhere, whatever y'all got to do. <laughs> and one day, we were at a restaurant. And we usually go in times where it wasn't crowded. We'd avoided the lunch crowd. But he got nervous in crowds. And all of a sudden, the lunchtime hit, and all these people rushed to the room. And he st- I saw him start getting anxious, start anxiety, start coming on. I said, hi, stop. Look at me. You're with me. And anxiety left. Why? Well, I took my authority. I'm the peace of God. His peace flows from me. And you can have that same thing. That's one of the things we're going to talk about next week. That you walk into a stressed out world and you're the breath of fresh air. What do you think would happen if Jesus walked into rooms of stressed out people? Don't you think peace would increase? He lives in you. It's time to be a breath of fresh air to this world. We're going to talk about that next week. So lift your hands. Just thank God for being faithful. I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. Now, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.